0: Okay. For sake of, <laughs> all right. For the sake of the recording, we're looking at the seven uh, pillars that wisdom has built, according to Proverbs nine one, and I believe that these seven pillars can be located here in James chapter three verses seventeen through eighteen, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to be all over the place in the Bible, but that's our text for right now. And it says in James chapter 3, starting in verse 15, he said, or, um, "Yeah, the, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, central, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So what we're going to look at uh, today is the fourth pillar that uh, James refers to as being easy to be entreated easy to be entreated. Now this one was kind of a tricky one for me uh, as I got to studying it. But um, what this is, and you'll see uh, what I mean by this as we go through it. But what this is is that the wisdom that is from above, those who are easy to be entreated, are those that this wisdom from above appeals to them. Okay, It appeals to them. Uh, they, they like it. They want to hear more of it. They want to um, apply it. So that's what it means to be easy to be entreated. It's that, that the wisdom uh, from above is, is appealing to them. It's appealing to them. They like to listen to it. They like to learn from it. They like to apply it, that type of thing. Now, okay, where do I get that? Where do I get that? Well, one of the rules of Bible study is uh, the principle of first mention, right? If you go to the Word of God and find certain things that are mentioned first, it kind of helps you define or at least point you in the right direction about something. So, turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 15 through 16. This is the very first time you find this word entreated in your Bible in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 uh, it says um, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and verse 16 first mentioned he entreated Abraham well for her sake and he had sheep and oxen and he, ass- he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels so forth and so on So these men, like men do, um, treated Abraham well. Why? Because Abraham's wife, Sarai, was a beautiful woman. And they thought, because Abraham lied, they thought that Sarai was Abraham's um, sister instead of his wife. And so you know how guys do. They get all gaga and googly-eyed over a beautiful woman. So... You know, they they entreated Abraham well for the sake of Sarai. Okay, so that's your first mention of the word entreated. But there's also another side of the coin as far as this entreated is concerned. um, You won't get there in time, but Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 through 7, we see the other side of this entreated. In Deuteronomy 26, 6 and 7, it says, in the Egyptians, evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction, our labor, and our oppression. So on the one hand, we've got entreated as being favorable to, and then we look at entreated on the other hand, and it's treating unfavorably treating unfavorably so here we see the opposite one is favorable behavior and the other one is well not so uh, favorable uh, um, um, treatment turn to uh, turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 and that's not only in the Old Testament we see the very same contrast here in the New Testament well in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 2, we read, But even after that we had suffered before, we were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now, what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi? That's where he was cast into prison, wasn't it? And if I think he was also beaten, and there, he, I think it was Silas. He and Silas were put in stocks and thrown in prison. So he was shamefully entreated. Shamefully entreated. Alright? Uh, if you're familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, that's, that was pretty much his life, wasn't it? He'd go into some village or city or town, and there were those who uh, were open to the gospel, and they showed favor to Paul. They were excited about what Paul had to tell him. And then there were others who were closed to the gospel. They were opposed to the gospel. Uh, some, of them, some of them were even violent uh, because of the gospel. And that's, that's, uh, that was pretty much Paul's ministry. Another use of this word entreated, again the other side of the coin, in Acts 27.3, Uh, This is about a man by the name of Julius, and he was a centurion who was in charge of delivering Paul to Rome. And in Acts 27.3 we read, And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go on to his friends to refresh himself. So you see the two sides of entreaty. One's a favorable courteous, receptive the other is opposing rejecting not so favorable not so favorable uh, something, about, uh, something else about these these uh, folks who are um, not easy to be entreated, let's just put it that way uh, Paul uh, when he wrote to the Thessalonians and the 2nd Thessalonians said In chapter 3 and verse 2, he prayed that they may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all have not faith. So, those who are not easy to be treated generally behave unreasonably. Unreasonably. Um, Let me ask you a question Does everybody love the gospel? I see yeses and I see noes. Some do, some don't. Right? Some do, some don't. Uh, Sadly, there's a lot of folks who hate the gospel. They hate that wisdom that's from above. Uh, They don't want anything to do with it. And they'll even carry that hatred over to those who love the wisdom, who love the gospel and preach and try to tell them about the gospel. Try to tell them about that wisdom. Uh, Paul mentions a man in, um, I think it's 2 Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think it is, he did much harm to Paul because he opposed the gospel. He was not easy to be entreated. He didn't want anything to do with the gospel. And he made it really tough for Paul. Possibly maybe uh, slandered Paul in front of Nero or the Roman authorities. So he made it very, very uh, difficult uh, upon Paul. Uh, also in 2 Thessalonians where I read uh, that same word, uh, uh, unreasonable, also means amiss and harm. In other words, um, they purposely... Intend to cause someone who uh, loves the wisdom, they want to um, cause trouble for that person, and even if they can, influence them away from that wisdom. That's an unreasonable man, a troublemaker, a troublemaker. Uh, They behave contrary to the wisdom, and that's why that wisdom that's from below, that's why you've got words like strife. In envy, I witnessed to a, a man one time about the, about the gospel, and I witnessed, and I witnessed to him, and it just didn't seem to be going anywhere, and so I asked him, I said, um, you know, what is it that you're, why are you so opposed to this good news of, you know, being saved and not going, you know what he told me, it was a, it was a surprising answer, he says, because I envy you he says, I, yeah, I know it's wild He said, the human heart's weird he says, it's because I envy you and because I envy you I don't want anything to do with it that's just kind of weird, isn't it? but people are weird that way they are weird that way so they, this type of person they're contrary to that wisdom from above uh, Proverbs one twenty five. Uh, this is that personification of wisdom speaking to those who are not a, they, you know the wisdom from above doesn't appeal to them she says but ye have set at not all my counsel and with none of my reproof that's this person right here they want nothing to do with it They want nothing to do with it. Um, This kind of person uh, Proverbs labels as a scorner. A scorner. Proverbs 14.6 says A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. Because this isn't the kind of wisdom that appeals to him. That's why he never finds it. That's why he never finds it. Proverbs 14.6 A a scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth why is knowledge easy to him that understandeth it's because this kind of wisdom appeals to him and because this kind of wisdom from above appeals to this individual that's why it's easy for him to understand it have you ever read your Bible and you come across something and go, "Aha! Now I understand." Yeah, yeah. That's why it's easy unto him that understandeth. What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. So that's what we're talking about. That that hard attitude. Uh, hard attitude is key. It's very, very important. Psalms 119, 97 through 101 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Because he desires it. It's appealing to him. He says, uh, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I keep thy word why does he do all of that? because he loves God's word because this wisdom from above is very attractive very appealing to him that's being easily entreated And the key to understanding God's word, to be easily entreated, is to love it. It's to love God's word. It appeals to you. So again, where does it come right down to? It's It's the issue, the matter of the heart. The matter of the heart. On the other hand, the scorner, he doesn't have a heart for that wisdom. He doesn't have a heart for that wisdom. They don't have that attitude of heart that James refers to as being easy to entreat it. They, they don't have a favorable disposition towards God's word. Towards God's word. In fact, if you deal with a scorner, uh, you're going to find out that, uh, that um, uh, you will appear to him to be insufferable or stupid or naive or stop wasting my time with that stuff Proverbs 9.8 says reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee now is it you that he hates no it's the wisdom that you're trying to share that he hates reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee rebuke a wise man and he will love thee again attitude of heart you go to a scorner and you try to deal with him on an issue and he's going to hate you for it but if you go to a wise man and you deal with him on on an issue that he has if he's on his A game he's going to appreciate you coming to them and saying hey this is going on this is what God's word says that type of thing you understand what I'm saying about that? Now, not everybody likes to be told, (laughs) right? And there's been times I haven't liked being told about something, but when I go away and think about it, I am appreciated. I, I, I am grateful. It might hurt initially, but it was for my own good, right? For my own good. You know, sometimes... The surgeon has to inflict a wound in order to heal a wound, doesn't he? Yeah, same thing with some folks that come up with you and counsel you with the Word of God. Sometimes it hurts, but it's for your healing. That say some the bruises of a friend or something, you know? The, the kisses of your, of your enemy. Are, uh, yeah, I think... Proverbs 27, what, Ron? Um, well, let's go to Proverbs 27. I know Fox says, it's a. Yeah. Yeah. It's verse 6. Take away the wounds of the friend or the kisses of an enemy. There you go. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's exactly right. Exa- exactly the point. Exactly the point. A scorner, on the other hand, he's, he's completely closed-minded to that. It does not appeal to him at all. I, now, you don't have to do this, but I do this. It's just a just habit I've gotten myself in. I looked up the um, the Hebrew word for scorner. It's the word lutz. And, um, I, again, you don't need to know that, but the only reason why I did that because I wanted to look it up. And um, in the Hebrew, it means to make mouths, to make mouths at, to mock to deride, to scoff. That's a scorner. Um, so we've got clearly someone who's not favorable to the Bible. They're abusive like the Jews in Philippi and not courteous like Julius was. Okay? Um, you know, I've noticed this too. Sometimes the scorner will betray himself uh, or herself because <laughs> it's not gender specific. But they betray themselves by their body language. You can see it in their face. You can see it, you know. You can see it in their body language. Uh, that, uh, Psalms 22 is, of course, a prophetic psalm of the Lord's crucifixion. Psalms 22:7 says, um, "All they that see me laugh me to scorn; they shoot out the lip, they shake the head." Well, if you go to Matthew. or Mark 15.29 that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing when they were walking by the cross where Jesus was hanging. They were wagging their heads and casting out their derisions and their insults. They were scorners. They were scorners. A scorner has a a contempt in their heart toward authority. Uh, Whether it's their parents. Have you ever seen a little child who has contempt for their parents it's not a pretty sight Uh, it could be uh, you know it could be um, civil authorities we've got cities burning down because these scorners have contempt for authority how about the job site (laughs) I've worked with some men who just can't stand the boss that's a scorner that's a scorner the only authority a here will recognize guess what Guess what that authority is their own. yeah their own yeah they're the boss they're the boss this kind of individual has not only rejected this wisdom from above but they've gone to embrace this wisdom from below what other option do they have right if you reject this What else is left? What else is left? And when they receive this wisdom that's from below, whether, you know, um, that's an abomination in the eyes of God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Whether it's civil or religious or whatever, Proverbs 28 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, this is pretty wild to think about, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. You know, there's a lot of religions out there that claim to show the way to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way to the Father see all these other religious teachers are showing the way Jesus didn't come to show the way guys, Jesus is the way and so in the eyes of God those prayers are an abomination that's wild to think about isn't it that's wild to think about but that's not popular that's uh, boy, that's being really intolerant Huh? But I need a safe space. Yeah, talk to God about that. That's 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 God's that's God's word. It's not mine. Psalms uh, one one. Turn to Psalms one one. You guys are all familiar with this passage. This talks about um, well, it talks about the blessed is the man that does certain things. But I want to flip that on the other side, and I want to look at the digression of a man who does do these things Psalms one says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful because it's a blessing that you don't do those things but in talking about the folks who are closed where the wisdom above doesn't appeal to them I want to show you what appeals to them so let's flip it on the other side It says so. Let's put it this way. I guess no. I don't want to make it sound like I'm adding to Scripture. All right, so that's not what I'm doing. I'm just looking at the other side of this. Instead of um, not walking in the counsel of the godly, those who are scorners or progressing in that direction, they walk in the counsel of the ungodly. They walk in the counsel of godly. This whole series about the landmark. Topical study of Proverbs is about what? Our path in life. What direction are you headed? What path are you on? Well, this fellow here, he's on the wrong path. He's on the wrong path. He's turned from the path of light, which gets brighter and brighter, and he's turned onto the path of darkness because he's following after the counsel of the ungodly. He's following after the... Remember what Amos 3.3 says? Can two walk together? At Least they be agreed. So he's beginning to... He's agreeing with these ungodly. He's agreeing with these ungodly. You realize the more time you spend in association with somebody, the more you take on the way they think and their characteristics and the way they do things the same thing is true if you associate with the, with the ungodly if they're your primary influencers in life you're going to start taking on the way they think you're going to start agreeing with their opinions you're going to start having their outlook on life You're going to start operating according to this wisdom from below versus the wisdom from above. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It is important who your friends are. I told that to my kids when they were growing up. It is very important who you choose as your friends. So I would say, child of God, Who is your preferred choice of companions, of associates? Are they those who want nothing to do with God? Or are they those that um, promote your walk with God, that help you in your walk with God? Now, okay. I'm not saying we should have nothing to do with ungodly people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not. We should have, hopefully have, friends who are not saved. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 9 I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with covetous or extortioners or with idolaters for then must ye needs go out of the world we have daily contact with people who do not know Jesus or people who don't love Jesus and there's absolutely you can't exist in a bubble and there are a lot of folks who try to do that you can't you can't do that. You need to try to reach these folks for Christ. But what I am saying is, it's not a question of association. The risk is assimilation. Are they assimilating you, like the Borg in Star Trek? Are they assimilating you into their way of thinking? Does that make sense? So be careful. Then it says, those who turn from hearing the word of God stand with, or in the way of sinners. Okay? Now what does it mean when you stand with somebody? Yeah, you got their back, you're in agreement. Right? You're on the same team type of thing. So when you're standing with a sinner, your opinion, you support their opinion, you support their Lifestyle. See, when the ungodly prove to be your main influencers in your life, then you begin to see things the way they do, and then you begin to behave like they do and you know that type of stuff. That's where the assimilation starts taking effect in your life. For a believer, this means you compromise. Uh, there's times when you should speak up and you don't speak up there's times when you surrender when you should have made a stand that's the danger that's the danger kind of like rust (laughs) right? it begins a little space, a little spot if it's left undealt with untreated, it just grows and, and eventually what happens, the fender falls off Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.19 he says holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck you associate and they assimilate and then your ship's going to start going down and then you got those who, who turn from the law they begin to sit in the seat of the scornful at this point the person has thrown their sextant overboard, they smash their chronometer and they burn their charts declaring they can't be trusted anymore oh that bible there's so many uh, inaccuracies there's so many uh, contradictions so, you know, it, it can't, it's just full of fables that's where you start thinking that's where you begin to think that way oh it doesn't apply to me it doesn't work. I was that close one time in my own life. Because of what was going on in, in, our, in, our, in our in our life, what was going on in my life. I was that I was up to that point where it's saying it doesn't work. Be careful. Be careful. And the scorner is not a fan of people whose ideas contradict their false thinking. They don't like that. They don't like to be disagreed with. They don't like it when people don't see you know, their erroneous point of view. And they especially don't like it when you point it out. Proverbs 15, 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go on to the wise. That's something else about this kind of person here who's not easily entreated. It don't matter how much of a mess their life is, they will not go and to get help from those who have God's wisdom. They'll go everywhere else. they'll go to umpteen million psychologists and psychiatrists and secular counselors but to go to someone who has the word of God that's an anathema they just won't do it again this is someone who operates with this wisdom from below the wisdom from above has no appeal to them has no appeal to them. Proverbs twenty one twenty nine says, A wicked man hardeneth his face. But as for the upright, he directs his way. So one who's easy to be entreated by the wisdom that's found in God's word, you know, this individual more often than not, they won't have this pig headed notion about them. Now, I've met some Christians <laughs> that are pigheaded, But for the general rule, if you go to somebody who knows God's word, loves God's word, has been exposed to God's word, when you show them something in God's word, about 99% of the time they go, yeah, I see it. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. But the folks who don't like it, have you ever seen that in somebody? Instead of helping them, it seems like they get more determined to stay on that destructive course. I was dealing with an individual who was very rebellious rebellious in their heart and I kept trying to encourage them and kept trying to show them scriptures. Hey you're headed down the wrong path and it seemed like the more I showed him from God's word the more determined he was to go down this rebellious path. He was hardening his face. Those who do that that's why I put the, the iron bands on this heart those who, who, who do that and I don't think they're aware of it or if they are aware of it they don't really care but that's a path to destruction. Wouldn't you agree? How many times have we seen that? It's a, it's a path to destruction. Turn to Proverbs 29.1 Proverbs 29.1 about somebody who is hard against the wisdom from above that it doesn't appeal to him or her Proverbs 29 1 it says he and could be she but he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy that's a pretty dire warning a pretty darn warning. So let me give you, in case you're interested, in case you want to harden your heart, let me give you five easy steps to harden your heart. Okay? (laughs) No, you don't want to do that. But let me give you five steps to harden a person's heart. Step one. Choose to do so. Right? You choose to do so. For whatever reason, you choose to do so. Most things in life begin with a choice, right? A choice. Um, turn to Second Kings seventeen. So the first step in having a having spiritually hardened arteries is choose to do so. Second uh, Kings seventeen thirteen. It's fairly lengthy passage, but as we get into it you'll see, you'll see. Second Kings 17:13 it says yet the lord testified against israel and against judah by all the prophets and by all the seers saying turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which i commanded your fathers and which i sent to you by my servants the prophets so god's calling come back come back you're going the wrong direction come back verse 14 notwithstanding they would not hear but hardened their necks like the necks of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God and they rejected his statues and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them and they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like unto them and they left all the commandments of the Lord their God what did they just do? They made a choice, didn't they? They made a choice. And that choice hardened their hearts. So the first step is to make a conscious choice of saying, I want nothing to do with this wisdom from above. I want nothing to do with it. Whether you make that in anger or out of cool logic it all begins with a choice the second thing step one make a choice step two allow your pride to have control allow your ego to have control Daniel 5.20 says but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him of course that was Nebuchadnezzar that was Nebuchadnezzar Daniel tried to warn Nebuchadnezzar, Hey, Nebi baby, repent. Don't go that direction. He didn't listen to Daniel. So one day on his porch or wherever it was, he looked out across the city of Babylon and thought, Boy, what a good boy I am. He started bragging about himself. Kaboom. His pride took over. God warned him. His pride took over and he became like an animal for 7 years. He didn't bacon, maybe. maybe. Maybe that's the problem. The more time spent in the association of those who have no esteem for God or for his word, you're going to find yourself adopting them uh, with them and you're going to find yourself agreeing with them. Then your pride's going to take over. And you're going to find out that, um, you know what? I think I know more than God. That's where it goes. I think I know better how to run my life than what God says. Who wrote the book on life. You know, pride can prove to be the concrete to the will. Pride is what sets your will Against God or anyone. Or anyone. Number three, make a choice, let your pride take over, become a doubter of God's Word. Become a doubter of God's Word. Acts 19, 8 and 9. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, separated, and he separated the disciples of daily in the school of one Tyrannius. He's speaking about the Jews who rejected the gospel they didn't believe what Paul said even when Paul went through the scriptures to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah they didn't even believe their own scriptures and so they rejected their own scriptures because they thought that they were the authority pride and they made a choice Number four, rebel against all authority. Rebel against all authority. That's what it means by here, he that being often reproved, hardened his neck. Just rebel against all authority. It begins with making a choice, is followed by uh, being prideful, uh, leads to doubting and refuting God's word, which, by the way, is what? The authority of God, Right? the authority of God and so this leads to a rebellious attitude toward God's word toward any authority in your life and then of course the last step which is the inevitable step and that's sin sin how does the Bible define sin? Okay, okay, uh, There's a verse in First John that talks about it. First John three: four says, "Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. So actually sin is anything contrary to the word of God. The word of God. And that's what sin really is. Sin is nothing more than rebellion against God's word. Thou shalt not lie. That's God's command. You lie, you sin against God's command. That's what sin is. So bottom line, the plight of the hardened heart is that they reject God's authority in their life. They admit to no other authority than themselves. They're puffed up in pride... They're making these choices, and you know what they've become like? Like that fallen angel that says, I will be like the Most High. That's a hardened heart. That's a hardened heart. That's that work from the wisdom that comes from below. So in contrast to the scorner, the ones who are easily entreated are those that God's wisdom appeals to them and so they listen, they heed. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. That's what it means to be, easily, to be easy to be entreated. Is that God's word appeals to you. You want to hear it. You want to learn from it. You want to grow by it. That's wisdom. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's that hard attitude towards the Lord and his word. those who are easily entreated have the hard attitude that seek out and hold on to this wisdom like it's precious gold and silver in the bank Proverbs 16.16 says how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver it's like treasure to them it's precious to them those who are easy to be entreated. Uh, Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen it says, Happy is the man that feareth always. That's why he's got a goofy smile on his face. That picture, not a Christian. Okay. Because they're happy. They're happy. Happy is the man that feareth always. This is a far better place to be than here. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. When you're in fellowship with the Lord, right? But when you're not in fellowship with the Lord, nothing's going right. The word "easy" and "treated" to be easy being treated—it's kind of an interesting word. Like I said, it was kind of a it was kind of a challenge, but um, again, you know, this is just what I like to do. I I um, looked up that word in the Strong's Concordance, and it's a compound word. It's a compound word. And it's kind of an interesting because when you look at the compound words and their their de- their definition, um, this this is what I came up. Those who are easy to be entreated by the wisdom of God—that's being wise, okay. This speaks of someone who is well off and prospers because they have confidence in the counsel they have received. Okay? It speaks of someone who is well off and prospers because they have confidence in the counsel they have received. How much confidence do you have in the counsel that's contained in the pages of this book? And could that confidence, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, could that confidence have anything to do with your joy Proverbs eight twelve says I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of woody inventions the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate again wisdom is speaking counsel is mine and sound wisdom I am understanding I have strength by me kings reign and princes decree justice, by me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me again wisdom says in verse 18, riches and honor are with me yea, durable riches and righteousness so that talks to me about eternity, right my fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. Happy is the man that feareth always. That's the promise of wisdom. This is the promise of wisdom to those who are easy to be entreated. In other words, that it appeals to their hearts. It appeals to their heart. Proverbs twenty-three, nineteen, and I'll close with this because I don't think I'm going to have time to... You know what I am, we're going to push on. Proverbs twenty-eight, uh, twenty-three, nineteen says, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. So I guess bottom line, at the end of this particular pillar, what's your heart attitude towards God's Word? Is it favorable or not? Only you can answer that. Also on the, the fifth pillar, according to James, is full of mercy and good fruits. This is a divine combo. This is all one pillar. It's all wrapped up into one. Okay. Uh, mercy is being compassionate to those in need, providing strength helping out the poor, the injured, the distraught the good fruits is the impact that you have on those lives and also in your own life, right? because when you show mercy to someone, not only do you benefit that person, guess guess who else it benefits? you you, God looks upon that, blessed are the merciful Jesus said for they shall obtain what? Mercy. So as you aid someone, God will aid you. As, God, as you show mercy to someone, God will show you mercy. You know, sometimes God's people can be so stern and so mean-spirited. Or am I speaking through my hat? Maybe you've never met anybody like that. Today. Today. <laughs> uh, they can get so worked up about matters... Um, that really are inconsequential. I mean, it's important to them, but you know in the big picture. And sometimes people like this, they fail to discern that maybe it isn't um, your wrath are needing to feel, but maybe some mercy, some understanding, some compassion. I helped a young man uh, one time and they had gotten themselves into financial arrears and I was kind of frustrated with this young man because he was constantly, constantly getting himself in the same fix and so I started to rail on him and he told me, he says, I don't need a sermon he says, I'm drowning, I need a life preserver boy, that hit me hard it hit me hard. Yeah, I was helping him, but where was the mercy, right? Where was the compassion? Where was the compassion? Am I the only one that's been in that particular? Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's the wrong. It's the wrong attitude, isn't it? Yeah, it's the wrong heart. You know, how many times have uh, folks reached out for a helping hand only to have their hand slapped? You know, Now I'm not saying in some cases that may not be appropriate. <laughs> Proverbs uh, 27.9 Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. You know sometimes what is needed is a friend who loves you enough to not only be empathetic and sympathetic but at the same time lovingly tell you the truth right lovingly tell you the truth Proverbs 21 21 says he that loveth, followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life righteousness and honor mercy and truth four times in Proverbs you see this divine combination of mercy and truth Proverbs 3.3 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor. Right? We just looked at that. And good understanding uh, in the sight of God and man. In the sight of God and man. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, Proverbs 14.22 Do they they not err that devise evil, but mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. Proverbs 16.6 By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We have a really practical illustration of this verse here about mercy and truth, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. We've got a ministry called Life Issues. Right? And in Life Issues, they show mercy to these people who are struggling with these issues in their life, but at the same time, what else are they doing? They're giving them the truth, so by the mercy shown to them and the truth preached to them, this iniquity, that's the goal, is purged from them. So we have a very good example of this verse right here in our own church. Proverbs twenty twenty-eight: Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy, and I'm not going to go there. But we certainly don't see that today. You know, our Lord ministered to people with with a combination of mercy and truth. You consider all those times that he dealt with those people. Remember the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and they were brought to him in John chapter 8 and they were wanting to stone this woman and, and they're wanting Jesus to be in agreement with them. And, and so what does the Lord do? He rebukes these bloodthirsty hypocrites. And then what's he do? He shows mercy to this woman. But he not only shows mercy to this woman, but he also did it with truth. Well, I mean, listen to what he says here. John eight ten. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Mercy go and send no more truth mercy and truth see being merciful doesn't mean we condone sin or that you would do something contrary to God's word in empowering those who need to be shown mercy uh, it's, it's a combination of both you have to have mercy and truth together For example, when someone appeals to our church for financial aid, uh, one of the things that we ask of them is, yes, we'll go ahead and meet your water bill or whatever it is, but are you willing to come in and receive financial counseling? Now, what is the reason for that? Well, to help them to not get themselves back in that same situation show them how to work a budget show them how to handle their finances better that type of thing so that's mercy and mercy and truth when Paul was writing to the believers on the Isle of Crete where Titus was their pastor he he did the same thing there when he wrote to Titus he talked about mercy and truth In Titus Titus 1.9, he says, "...holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that ye may be, able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers." We've got to hang on to the truth, folks. We've got to operate by the word of God. You know, that's our standard. That's our standard in life. And if we don't operate by the word of God, then really our mercy will be pointless. There will be no eternal purpose involved in it. It'll just be feeding somebody's belly and leaving their spirit destitute. Destitute. Proverbs 20.18 says, Every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice make war. And then Paul writes about... Mercy, he says in Titus 3 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And these things are good and profitable unto men. So there you have truth and mercy. Truth and mercy. Combination. The wisdom of mercy shown and truth applied. Is that sanctified combo that is sure to bring about fruit. What is it that Brian always says? Fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. So that's the purpose of of mercy and truth is to produce fruit. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Any questions or comments on anything before I close out in prayer? Does everybody kinda understand where I was going with this? Okay. If there's nothing, then uh James, would you mind closing us out in prayer? Absolutely.